Hey everyone, and welcome to Timeline Scavengers, the podcast specifically designed to last forever. I'm James Anderson, one of your hosts. And I'm Colin Parker, your other host. On this show, we're going to the MCU in historical order, scene by scene. Oh. Until the end of time. Okay, great. That's right, Colin. <laughs> and it is time to move into the 80s. It's a time of into everyone just sort of... future. Everyone's just sort of hanging out. It's all relaxed. No, it's the 80s. It's the opposite of that. But... The 80s didn't technically start until 1984, so we are looking at Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Now, you may be saying, what about Volume 1? Just chill, chill. all right? Just calm hey, down. Hey, let us worry about the timeline, yeah, okay? Just chill out. God. You just look pretty and listen, okay? <sighs> sometimes sometimes we both take a vibe to a place. and um, <laughs> It's aggressive, and it's like... yeah. Someone who's listening to this episode is, who's also brand new is like, okay, well, not listening to this show anymore. Well, I'll listen to that. Yeah, cool. Oh, nope, 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 nope. Uh, so they are just white podcasters, <laughs> white male <laughs> exactly. podcasters. Exactly. Uh, okay, so here's what we're going to do. Let's get into this. You're going to start Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, let's give it a little more time. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. So anyways, no, so, decades yeah. are... Oh, no, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Volume two. Uh, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, volume two, you're going to start it. Just just hit play. There's no recap. It's a movie. You're going you're gonna to watch it on through to one minute and 39 seconds. And here's what happens. Missouri, Earth, 1980. That's a good Chiron. Yeah, for sure. A 1978 Ford Mustang II King Cobra drives down the road as Brandy, you're a fine girl by looking glass, fades up. A man with magnificent hair and aviator shades is driving. Next to him is a woman who looks familiar like someone out of the past. She sings along with unbounded enthusiasm and the man watches her lovingly amused. They pull into a Dairy Queen parking lot. <laughs> I mean, that is what happens. But it, the, when you say it in that way... Because like there is something that is cinematic about that moment, right? Yeah. Like, especially with the way they they do the shot right mm -hmm. for this thing. But when you just go, they pull into a Dairy Queen parking lot and then just full stop end <laughs> is very funny. Yeah. Um, yeah. That is quite silly to me. Um, so I, I yeah. Go, sir, go let's, ahead. Let's 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 so yeah let's let's get into this sort of this is a scene. It's for sure two scenes, for sure. Because there's they got out of the car, they have to park, whatever. The one that we're going to do now, that we're doing now, and the one you're going to host oh, next. Sorry. Yeah. I had I went back and forth about whether or not this was one scene or two scenes. I think we could have probably made some uh, justifications for this being one scene. I, I actually think literally the, have that same note yeah, kind of thing. I but, think that, but we'll get to it. The driving... And the sort of music video quality of the of this opening, mm -hmm. I think, uh, it deserves sort of its own uh, its own sort of deal. So, what do you think? What are your thoughts? What are your comments and concerns? Okay. Fan so, theories. Well, I think that this won't. No, kidding. No, could you could you imagine if I started? I mean, I do have a theory about it later, but we'll wait until we get mm. to some reveals, basically. Mm -hmm. So, first and foremost, sick car. For sure, it's a good car. It's a it is great a good looking car. car. Uh, there are notes that I have about that car, but I think it's too early. In, okay. In certain, well, I don't know. You, I, I guess it depends on what you end up having. I mean, I so, have the note about the paint us. job. Do you want to hear yeah, about the car? Yeah, let's talk about the car. Let's talk about the car. All right. The car is a Ford Mustang 
to King Cobra. Now, that too seems wildly, in, well, either... Seems like it's in the weird place. Wildly yeah. inappropriate, or for the sequel to a movie, maybe it's absolutely perfect. Oh, to colon King Cobra. Right. It's uh, yeah. Right. It, it, that'd be cool, but it's not. Um, oh. The two is definitely Roman numerals, and it refers to the second mm. generation of Ford Mustang. Right. Um, and I just think that um, car names used to be uh, in, incredibly wild. And uh, I think they were weird. kind of like pop punk song titles. They were really long. <laughs> a, little, a little bit. Uh, Ford Mustang 2, King Cobra, Summer Song. I thought about that with uh, with Stan Lee's car, too, which yeah. I definitely still have in my notes. Hang on a second. Uh, like in the very first scene that we see it, uh, 1971 Oldsmobile Cutlass. Oh, wait. I thought I wrote the entire thing. It is a convertible, but I left off one of the the one following the things. You know, one of the specs. But like it's also kind of like how, you know, I I also used to drive a cutlass uh from Oldsmobile. It was a uh 1994, I believe, uh Oldsmobile Cutlass Sierra Supreme S. Right. Which I think is amazing because it was like like S was like a qualifier, even though it was already a Supreme. Yeah, and also a Sierra. So it's like it was. It was like seven titles, basically. And I was yeah. like, "Cool, thanks." I guess you know. Yeah, it. I think like it's like if you were it, like um, people that collect vinyl. It's yeah. like I have the uh, a first pressing nineteen seventy seven Clash self titled debut UK pressing, um, the limited edition. You know, Green you know with the whatever, exactly. Yeah. And you're like, um, whoa, what the fuck? So like it, you're, we're, you know, we're pulling this information from the international car movie database mm-hmm. where the, where the, the real car freaks come out to play. Um, and so I think that like, it's really interesting. <laughs> Those where sick my, perverts have finally <laughs> have their own space. Um, tailpipes. Okay. So I think God, that, chasing um, tailpipe. did you say Jason tailpipe? I said Jason, but Jason <laughs> tailpipe is actually Really, if your name was Jason, that would be such a good username if you were a car yeah. guy. Yeah, wow. for sure. Damn, that's fun. <laughs> uh, so you and I might say like that's oh that's a King Cobra or like a Ford Mustang King Cobra or whatever, but um, they would go for the whole deal. The two, yeah, exactly. Um, and okay, so uh, other the other two movies that the um IMCDB had this specific car uh being in is Zookeeper from 2011. That is the Kevin Paul Blart. Kevin, don't don't look it up. Don't, we have to okay. we have to get All it. Right. We have to get it's it. It's not Kevin Nealon. It's not Kevin Spacey. Thank God. It's not Kevin Hart. It's not Kevin Hart. Kevin. Kevin James. James. That's embarrassing. <laughs> That's wild. <laughs> That's wild. That. <laughs> That's wild that we couldn't get there. I uh, had to think about literally every joke about things like grownups and stuff like that. Yeah. And and uh, David Spade to get yeah. there. Yeah. Well, you got there. My name. Uh, so the 2011 uh, Kevin James movie Zookeeper uh, and The Sinners from 1990. I did not look up what it was or who's in it or anything about it other than the year it came out. So this is about the uh, 1978 Ford Mustang 2 King Cobra. In 1978, the King Cobra became available. This was a limited edition version with 4,313 units produced. 
It features a deep air dam, stripes, and a Pontiac Trans Am-style Cobra snake detail on the hood. The King Cobra was available only with the V8 to help bolster the car's performance image. Uh, it went on to say, and I didn't take this uh, take this down, but it was like, this car actually kind of fucking sucked. Uh, it did not perform. That's, it looked like it performed well, but it did not actually perform. That's actually funny enough. I don't know where I saw this. It's, it's in some movie where they talk about this sort of thing. But there are so many early sports cars where we started recognizing how to make something look cool, but yeah. didn't actually know how to make them work well. Right. Like, the, I, actually, okay, this is not the movie that I was thinking of, but the movie that has Christian Bale where it's all about like Shelby versus Mustang. Oh, Ford versus Ferrari. Right, yeah. They they do address it in that too, where it's like the Ferrari does work, <laughs> but like it's, it's the thing where like he's like, hmm. Lose the half ton, lose this, lose that, add yeah. this in, and then you've got a good car, right? Like, yeah. like, there are times where, like, they think, oh, no, the car's great, and then it turns out that there's, you know, and that's not the movie that I was thinking of in regards to this, because it was, that's only, it's just the one scene where right. they kind of get into it. But there's definitely, I've seen something before where it was, like, every one of the cars, basically, in, like, the 70s that we thought was a good car, it actually was, like, it had so many issues sometimes with, like, overheating or something, something like that. I right. feel like it's a thing where it's yeah. like you literally could not drive it cross country because right. it would just simply fall apart. Yeah. You know, things like that. Yeah. Um, I can't read something, that, you know, deep air dam stripes in a Pontiac Trans Am style with Cobra snake detail on the hood without thinking of Marissa Tomei and my cousin Vinny. And that's where my brain yeah. stops. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. That does sound exactly like it's just a line from that. It's a, it's, I'm going to say this right now. That is the sexiest car-related line Scene? delivery. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It is, and I don't just mean because Marissa Tomei is sexy, though I'm not saying she's not. Just as a woman knowing her shit, in addition to being Marissa Tomei, like it's a, I think there's a multi-level sexiness to it. I was gonna say I think that scene in particular is multi-layered because of I think it, it I think literally in order of like least important to most important. Yes. Right. Is okay. It is an attractive woman, yes. right? Which I think that in general, especially then, I mean, it still is a problem now, but definitely then, way more than now. Uh, than now. Women weren't, uh, especially pretty women, were not considered to be probably someone that you would expect to know anything about a vehicle. Right, right. So, okay, so you have just like that base level of, okay, sexism and also like the pretty privilege. I'm putting that in air quotes, you know? Right. Then on top of that, she's also someone who has an accent that we frequently typically view as yeah. being maybe not as brilliant, right? It's an East Coast Valley girl. Right. Uh, it's, it's. I mean, honestly, same thing with Joe Pesci, right? Like yep. you hear that and you, all you do hear is wise guys. You hear, right. the, you know, the untouchables, all that. Like you just hear, oh, yo, what are you going to do? You know, like you hear a little bit of like that, like yeah. I'm going to go steal. I'm a sticky bandit. You know, like yeah. you feel like they're he's going to go, you know, get his you know shit beaten in by a small child. And technically, in another film, you'd be correct. But like, he is actually brilliant. But so is she, right? right? right. And so, and then on top of that, she also does have an attitude, which I think is yeah. also a big thing. So it's like at first she comes off as combative, and so it's like, okay, you know, how much could she really know? She's just kind of making a big stink, you know. I'd actually maybe flip the last two points that I made. Yeah. Um. But like, I think when you add all of those things up, and then she's like, "No, Your Honor," because of, and then she just goes on like a full paragraph of like of yeah. specs you're like yeah. 
holy shit, you know? Yeah. And you're like, that's, you're like, is it warm in here? What happened? Like, yeah. I know nothing about cars, but even like the first time I watched that movie, I went, what? Oh, this, this is doing it for me. I don't know why. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she won a, an Oscar for that role and she should have. Yep. Absolutely. So, uh, so that is the Ford Mustang two King Cobra. Oh yeah. That's where we were. <laughs> okay. I, I knew that. I knew that. I knew that. Um, uh, yeah. We talked about this car off air because I was sure that you knew this, but it was just a thing of like, I don't know why I've never paid attention to what the car actually looked like. I mean, like I remember like every time I've watched this movie and I've watched it multiple times, anytime I see the car, I'm like, ah, sick car. Yeah, like it, it, it looks cool. Yeah. But I never once really actually thought about it. And then I was like, oh, hmm. Yeah. The color scheme on this car is exactly the same as something that we will see in the future. Exactly. Do you want to know an additional interesting fact about this car, Colin? Uh, it didn't actually come in those colors? No, it did. Uh, oh, okay. That's fine. Um, <laughs> You're wrong. But the additional thing is the license plate. Oh. Is the same license plate as James Gunn's high school car, a Buick Electra. He used the same license plate number. That's cool. Uh, and then, do you want to know why Dairy Queen? Uh, is it uh, a licensing deal that they had? The first sentence of this is, Dairy Queen is not here as a product placement. Oh, okay. It's a place that reminds Gunn of his childhood, and it's meant as a marker to encourage memories of youth and the 1980s. He stated, quote, I will never make product placement more important than the story I'm telling. End quote. Interesting. Makes me think I mean, of- That's uh, a good point, the, yeah. Yeah. The, the, uh, the second episode of It Jams for Thee mm-hmm. uh, that came out in uh, February, mm-hmm. um, the Sid talked a lot about like product placement and how to- how it's done in Space Jam and how it's done in Space Jam 2, the new right. class. Right, yeah, yeah, um, Dunking it harder. Dunking two donuts. Um, and I, th- I found that very interesting. I found I was thinking of that a lot when I when I, I found that uh, piece of trivia on that. IMDb. It is also very interesting because I feel like Space Jam 1, I, I think I definitely said this on that, epi- on that episode as well, which is just that like they were kind of going for product placement, but it also felt like because it was such an anomaly of a movie, yeah. They they really soft launched yeah, they how did. they did it. Like <laughs> they were kind of non-committal with it. Like they did a bunch of name brand drop stuff kind of thing. But they like, for example, when they show the McDonald's thing, it is like you can barely tell it's a McDonald's <laughs> bag. It's like it's like when you uh when you've heard like a new meme or a new joke or whatever, and you walk up to a group of people and you're like, hey, so the new inside joke. And they're like, Haha, and right. you're like, yeah, new inside joke, yeah. exactly. So we're talking about Dairy Queen. Um, does and this give you 80s nostalgia? It actually does. And I'll tell you why. Because I was yeah. thinking about, like, I didn't think about it kind of until you said it. Because to me, like, the Dairy Queen, I think one of the reasons why I also thought it was there in a way was simply because when it's almost like it was a landmark yeah, as well, because it's going to come back up yeah. you know, in this movie. And so to me, I th- that was sort of my initial thought was that, like, I thought it, maybe it was a slight product placement, but I also was like, it can't have been like that they were having a special deal at Dairy Queen because like I right. didn't see a single fucking commercial that was like, now at Dairy Queen, the you know the you know Peter Quill smash Blizzard, you know what I mean? Like, uh-huh. and it's like the Gamora gotta have Gamora, you know, like uh, Blizzard, you know, like <laughs> you know, like I didn't see any of that kind of thing, you know, like yeah, uh, gotta have s'more, uh, Gamora s'more. Gamora S'more is very good. That's good. Uh, 
What's one more? Um, Ego waffle cones. Like group like, beer. Group beer. Group beer float. Group beer float. Group beer float. Group that's beer the float. One. That's God the one. Damn, that's fucking good. Fuck. Hey, someone call me. Hey, hey. Once again, if you need some marketing, if you need some Sheeple. ideas. Group beer float. We are God damn firing it. I'm an two cylinders. for two. Yeah, two for um, two on tonight. Uh, so uh, this scene is actually filmed in wait, St. Yeah, Charles. We didn't. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Sorry, I was sorry, talking sorry. about 1980s right, 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 Sorry. Right, right. sorry didn't, sorry. didn't mean to cut you off there. But no, but I, what I think about it here is that, like, even in the 90s, there was still a little bit of this, right? Like, right. I like I didn't think about, like, the nostalgia aspect of it until we got here, right? Like, to you bring it up. But, like, uh, do they have tasty freezes in your area when you were growing up? Or is uh, that no, more no. of a. Okay. So, where I lived. Um, it doesn't exist, at least not in our area anymore. There might still be a Tasty Freeze somewhere, but Tasty Freeze was kind of like, you know, like a, the A&W like restaurant in a way or like a Stewart's right. restaurant or whatever, um, where it was like a kind of a like typical soda jerk type spot, like burger joint. Um, they had, I believe like it was, I think maybe roast beef sandwiches or something like that, that but like not quite RB style, but you know, kind of related to that. Right. Um, and then they would have burgers, hot dogs, fries, shakes. And the shakes right. were really good. They were they were like the super thick kind. So you definitely had to, to spoon it for the most part. Um, right. And we would go there. There was one that was not that far away from my elementary school. And so we would go there, you know, at least once a week sometimes. Or maybe not every week. But like we would go there like once a week, like two to three times a month maybe, right? Um, right. And because also sometimes we might go to 7-Eleven, which was even closer and get like a Slurpee or whatever. I was a child who loved sugary drinks. What can I say? It it looks like uh, there was none in Omaha, in uh, Bellevue, Nebraska, where I grew up. Mm. None in Annapolis, and none near Sterling, Virginia, where I went to high school and where near where I live now. Uh, there are several locations in Colorado where I was born, but mm. I moved before kindergarten. Because I so know I that they were a franchise. Like I definitely knew yeah. there was more than that one. You know what I mean? Yeah. That that's the only thing that like I truly remember about Tasty Freeze. I mean like outside of the food that I was just mentioning. But like I don't remember really much else about Tasty Freeze because they kind of went I don't think they went necessarily out of business, but they left my area before yeah, I really there's kind none, of fully there's none there now. Yeah, there there was nothing like I. There's a lot of like core memories there, but like mm-hmm. now it's all kind of gone because it, I'm just too old now or whatever. Yeah. Um and like whatever, but like I do remember going there like with friends even you know like and like the yeah. idea of like after school sometimes a couple kids and their parents whatever would go meet there and you would sit in the little booths and you would have your ice cream and or your burger and ice cream or whatever. Hey. They also had they had sucking on a chili well. dog outside the Tasty Freeze. Yeah. 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 There, there's that as well. That's the. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, uh, one second. Sorry, I'm getting that. Oh no, but like I, I do see that as like an '80s, '90s uh, thing. I'm honestly even, even further back. Like that was a thing that I think really only left. Like, honest to God, funny enough, I could see the 2001 cultural reset of 9/11 being something that happens there. You know what I mean? Like, I for don't. Freeze. Well, for any kind of restaurant like that, at being like an after-school hangout mm. spot. Sure. And I don't know. After I guess school kids, hangout became like a thing you didn't do anymore. No, I think you did, but I don't think it necessarily happened like at a burger joint. You right, know? right, yeah. You know? Um, and I don't know what that is. I don't know if that's like parents wanting to keep a closer eye on kids or whatever. Yeah, that's Who knows? what I would think. Yeah, yeah. Who knows? But like, uh, especially maybe if now, especially we're getting closer into a time where you probably have fewer, even fewer parents having a, a stay-at-home parent where someone could watch the kid or whatever. 
it probably yeah. is you have to come home because like we're both we both have to work we both can't yeah. get off of work to come pick you up things like that you know yeah um so yeah there's probably a lot of that aspect of it as well post 2001 um yeah. But like, yeah, I, I can totally see that. I mean, like even Greece, you know, like going far as that far back as to like the the time period that that represents, kids would go to the soda hops and and these yeah. burger, burger. I mean, the Burger Palace Boys was literally the original name of the T-Birds. You know what right. I mean? So it's like they were at that restaurant and they were the Burger Palace, you know, that, that was their hang spot. And actually it was uh, before they were the T-Birds, they were the T-Bergs, which referred to the Burger Palace the Boys. Um that was burgers. Anyway, uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, I knew it was burgers. a lie because um, you didn't, you didn't have like your big smile, but you had your very sly, like, <laughs> oh, I've got, hey, check this one out. You, that like was, uh, that was for the listener, and not for Yukon, because I know you know the full history of Greece, um, <laughs> the full dirty so there was history. Ajax, and then no, strong in the dirt. Um, I'm Icarus. So, uh, I'm going. I am going to change my uh, profile uh, back to. Um, Hot Eats Cool Tweets, because that is a Dairy Queen reference, and I will be... Hell yeah. We've already talked about Dairy Queen in a place where there wasn't Dairy Queen to talk about. <laughs> yeah. So now it's a, now it's a perfect time. Yeah. So now it's good. Um, this. What if actually you had had it in there the whole time, and now is when you go, and now I take it out. <laughs> exactly. And, then, and now it's done, because um, I'm not James Gunn's product placement. Um, <laughs> even though my name is James. Kevin James Gunn. Was that anything? Um, so, well, maybe it's something. Kevin James Gunn, you put it on the set of King of Queens, and then in the third act, it's fired. Um, Peacemaker Blart. <laughs> I'm seeing him Kevin, doing the dance. The... Kevin James wearing the helmet, doing the dance, and then getting yeah. on a on a uh, Segway. Yeah. And just shooting the hell out of people. Anyway. Speaking of segways, uh, this... <laughs> it's <laughs> good thank you uh so this scene was filmed in st charles missouri in and around st charles missouri where james gunn grew up mm -hmm. so i did look up what the local dairy queens situation was like in st charles missouri uh in a in about a six mile radius there are four or five dairy queens so wow. i did i did look up um the closest dairy queen to st charles you know the furthest distance or the closest distance whatever and I looked at Google Maps, and I'm not going to say that it's for sure the one they used. But you think but you found it? It looks pretty, like, I could see it being the one they used, uh, maybe with some CGI trees sort of added in or something like that. Um, so pretty cool to to sort of uh, get that uh, deep into uh, Missouri Dairy Queen lore. Um, I guess now let's talk about Brandy. How about that? Yeah, let's let's talk about the song. Yeah. Let's talk about Brandy, You're a Fine Girl by Looking Glass. Uh, a band name that I actively don't like. I really don't like the name Looking Glass, and I don't know why. I don't know why. I guess I need to do a little reflecting on that. Uh, it is a nineteen seventy two. I'm that's one where I'm both proud and I wanna move on. Um, <laughs> uh, it's a nineteen seventy two song by American pop rock band Looking Glass from their debut album Looking Glass. It was written by Looking Glass, lead guitarist and co vocalist Elliot Lurie. It reached number one on both the Billboard Hot One Hundred and Cashbox Top One Hundred. That's like the XFL of uh, music charts. 
um, remaining in the top position Good for top one week. Thing. Yeah. Uh, XFL is back again oh, I know. and yeah. again and again. DC was it you? Is currently, yeah, yeah. I, yeah DC Actually, is it was, it was, it was uh, Michael. Uh, when we were, remember I was telling you we were watching that basketball game? Michael. My brother in law, Michael. Oh. Um, I thought you were talking about Mike Snyder, and I was like, you have no. never called him that. No. By his like, Christian name. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, remaining in the top position for one week, it reached number two on the former, the Billboard Hot 100 for four weeks behind yes. Gilbert O'Sullivan's Alone Again Naturally. Before reaching number one, only to be only to be dethroned by Alone Again Naturally the week after, um, Billboard ranked it as the number twelve song for 1972. The lyrics tell of Brandy, a barmaid in a busy seaport harbor town, which quote which serves quote a hundred ships a day. Though lonely sailors flirt with her, she pines for one who has long since left her because she claimed because he claimed his life, his love, and his lady was the sea. The urban myth that Brandy was based on Mary Ellis, a spinster in New Brunswick, New Jersey, has been refuted by Laurie himself. God, it's weird to be a songwriter sometimes, I guess. People are like, it's definitely about Mary Ellis, right? This uh, 19th century spinster. He's like, for the last time, no. The curtains were red because he felt rage. And <laughs> like, the curtains were red because I they, they were red. Uh, Brandy uh, was uh, the song Mandy was originally called Brandy, but uh, because of this song, Barry Manilow had to. That one was also for you, Mom. Uh, Hey, uh, Colin's mom, uh, if you want to uh, listen to more Manilow talk, Can't Hardly Wait Minute has a lot of Manilow talk in it. Um, Because Barry Manilow is a central figure in that movie, weirdly. Uh, Brandy by Looking Glass has- Didn't know that. Yeah, uh, it's uh, Ethan Embry's character thinks that the fact that Barry Manilow wrote Mandy and Jennifer Love Hewitt's character's name is Amanda and it's Barry Manilow's birthday the day that the movie takes place and like he all this stuff he's he bases a lot of meaning a lot of red curtaining around Mm, Barry Manilow and Mandy and stuff yeah um so Brandy this is um someone wrote this on uh the IMDB and it's going to contain a verb that I'm not Loving, I don't love, but okay. I do love that I'm bussin'. going to read someone else in. No, it's not bussin'. I'm fine with that. Um, so, Brandy by Looking Glass has been a favorite song of James Gunn for a long time, starting mm. mostly one night in college after doinking his girlfriend and driving <laughs> home. Check informs me that that is not a word, but nevertheless, doinking. Uh, okay. Uh, okay. Zoinks, great. Fine. Doink, eh. Yeah, exactly. Doink, if you're like, doink, right? Like, you know. Right. Zoinks. Yeah, that's fine. Which is said by Shaggy, fine. Right. Uh, doink, which is what you say when you've shagged someone, not good. Um, when you, when, are you feeling, when you're the shaggy, when you've been to the, <laughs> exactly, uh, uh, it wasn't me, but like shag uh, right. or yeah, know, like yeah, like exactly. Yeah, um, okay, so the song came on the car radio. Uh, this is post doinkage, and he identified <laughs> it, having really listened to the lyrics for the first time. Quote: It spoke to my own life. 
that I just had the ima- the the image in my head of an interview where James Gunn was the one that literally used the word doinking, and I yeah for some reason it comes back around to okay for that Peter doinking. Peter doinking. Just thought about that. What's that? Wait, what, what did you whisper that immediately? Peter you, Doinkage is very yeah. funny because of Peter. Yeah. Um, it spoke to my own life that I was not going to stay in St. Louis and I was not going to stay with this woman. My love was the sea. A humorous inspirational element to it, but he acknowledges that the feeling his, has remained through his life, leaving him un- unable to find the same kind of shared love as others as he instead focuses on his love for filmmaking and entertainment Quotes is weird for that, but they're referring to like love of the sea. I wonder um, how that girl feels about that statement, by the way. Like, whew. did she know back then that he had no intention of staying with her? Because like, if he was like, this was great, I'm not staying in this town. She's like, ha what? You know, like, <laughs> you know, like if that was like, but I thought we had a, he's like, ha you thought wrong. Well, hopefully, hopefully it was a, a, a perfectly amicable, um, sort of thing even though the song would not one night doinkage yeah right one that would, that's what all of these are available on one single videotape uh if you call me for 33.99 i can send that to you one night doinkage is longer than you think it would be three doinks down three <laughs> truly my kryptonite. Um, he says, <laughs> uh, I'm trying to combat some of that in my life. I'm trying to be a person who allows love into my life, that allows friendship, but I'm able to have fun sometimes and that not everything about my life is work. It's a personal struggle for me, so I relate to that song. So uh, it sort of ties into what we were talking about before we started recording with sort of a role overload and taking work home and working 24 hours and always feeling like you have to be on. Um, in a way... Some of us are are uh, living the life of uh, my life, my love, and my lady is the sea. But sometimes some people sees are podcasting, and sometimes some people sees are sees are salads. Uh, and then finally, James Gunn has a list. Of- <laughs> you know what I gotta say, listener? I knew James was gonna go for a bad joke, and so I said, "Whatever you do." keep a straight face like i could see the setup coming from a mile away james said the caesar salad thing we both sat there with just i mean literally no emotion <laughs> didn't even look at each other for a few seconds and then james just sort of like kind of eyes glanced over to me and then went and then moved on and that was when we both broke it was like it was like an instant laugh the minute that we knew that that bit was over yeah but like i want to leave that whole thing in so that's why i'm Please, explaining do. what happened yeah. Because it's yeah. again, that was a visual gag, but like that dead silence that you just heard, that was us just kind of being like. Because I said like C's are. Yeah. And yeah, then it's C's like C's or Caesar. James Gunn has a list of about 500 songs, uh, has, quote, a list of about 500 songs that I think of as beep beep songs she would really love. Uh, he keeps the list on his computer and references it while writing the treatment and script. When he pa- when he passes the story treatment on to the Marvel folks, he includes a CD of the relevant tracks, which is kind of cool. So he has he I, I often hear about people that are like I you know my characters have these soundtracks and whatever, but um, right, yeah. So that's that's him too. Um, um, yeah, I I do have one final note, and I think we're I'm pretty sure we're about to hit an Avengers Ensemble too. We sure are. We sure are. This is a long episode, but uh, it's the first of a movie. I mean, I think that that's that's fair. That's fair. We've talked about this off air for sure. 
but a movie in particular, this movie in particular, or rather the two movies that you know James Gunn has done so far right. with uh, Marvel, he has benefited tremendously from being a famous, well-known, like you know, director and and writer, uh, because when you write scripts and when you do things like this, like it's probably also smart that he had like way more songs than he needed. Yeah. To to kind of give them the options. But I know that, for example, certain songs like this one were like written into the script. Yeah. Right? Because he's using the lyrics and stuff like that. You are pretty much told in uh, like explicitly usually in, in filmmaking like courses and stuff like that to not do that. And the reason for that is, is that like unless you are at a James Gunn level. Right. You cannot guarantee that you are going to get the song that you want. Right. You should not make um, the thematic element as he made this song. Yes, correct. Because, like, I'll tell you this. If he was, like, this whole movie is essentially, you know, hinging upon this. Yeah. And, like, this one key element, and honest to God, like, these lyrics in particular, if they, if Looking Glass came back and was like, no. Yeah. Hey, bud, what the fuck are you going to do? You I'm going to say sticks come sail away. That could work. I I could see that. It wouldn't be perfect. I don't think it would be perfect. No, but like I could I could see I could see that like I think also if you didn't know there was an alternate universe where brandy could have been used, you'd be like, yeah, okay, cool, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. You know, <laughs> this feels or, like the perfect song. Sticks. <laughs> when did when did uh, Don't Stop Believing come out? Uh, that was the eighties. Uh, man, hold on. I'm pretty sure it was eighty eighty actually. 1981. Mm. Cause like I could also kind of see, you know, if you had that as an option as well yeah. about people like leaving and like right. also believing in something, you know, like, yeah. like extra not stopping or, doing so. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and like, you know, uh, but like the idea of believing in space, girls. believing yeah. in, you know, mm-hmm. all the, the small town girl. Yeah. Living in a lonely world. And it's right. And exactly. Kind of comes the, along and I mean, this wouldn't factor into it entirely, but like journey's whole, like, aesthetic is like spaceships and like yeah like oh, yeah. earth sort of you know earth orbiting spaceship stuff yeah uh i will say that uh, i think i think i read somewhere that james gunn said he's never heard no when he's asked for clearance on songs like he's never ever he, he has oh. actually oh yeah uh, this this is one that I, I i shared this one with you i think actually sometime maybe like last summer so apparently it's only happened at least within Recent years, it's only maybe this was an twice. interview from before that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because it's happened twice since, like, in the last like five, six years. Um, one of which was specifically, uh, the no actually came from, like, effectively, I think Marvel's legal team or something like that, because they couldn't even ask because the issue was, was that they were going to look look at it, and then they found out that it was currently under legal litigation because there was an argument about who actually owned the song. Mm. And so they, they basically, he got the note technically not from the publisher, but from, right. from them saying we can't clear it because we literally don't know how to get a hold of it. Basically. Right. Okay. Like, there's no way. So like he got the no there and then there was only one other. And he, he specifically stated that he was never going to reveal who it was because right. he didn't harbor any ill will. And right. he knows that they have let other songs go, but there was one that he in this, there was one in particular that he wanted to use 
And they said no. And he was like, okay, that's fine. Like, yeah. he was cool about it and just sort of moved on. And I think that's a, also a very good move, right? For like, sure. Like, even if you're never going to try and approach that person ever again, the concept of like, you know, I get it, right? It's it's so easy when someone has a huge platform, right? It's one of the reasons why, you know, when you have like, let's say, um, let's say Jason Statham. I don't yeah, think okay. he's even on Twitter or like in that kind of way. But let's say Jason Statham gets on an airplane from London to LA, LAX, uh-huh. right? Um, I granted he'd have some layovers and stuff like that, but still, he gets you know London to LAX, and then he finds out that his bags were tampered with or broken into. Things got majorly lost, right? Fucking hell! Right, like he's like, oh fucking hell! It's like. They broke. They broke me. You know, me skateboard. That was in me thing, right? He, he doesn't say yeah. me. I don't know why I said that, but like, he's like, all right. I had a limited edition, you know, whatever, and he's he's gone. All right, we're gonna talk about it, right? Like, but like, he would get on Twitter and be like, all right, bruvs. Again, he doesn't say bruv, but like, he'd be like, you know, he would hit Twitter up and be like, you know, Southwest Airlines, yeah, lost my shit, right? And yeah. so then what happens is like then people start going up in arms because people are like, I love Jason Statham. How could you do that to Jason, right. Jason Statham? And that's what gets the attention. If I if my shit gets stolen, I go, hey, what the fuck, Southwest? Like you and like Morgan will like the tweet. And then they'll just send me a, a text going, uh, not a text, they'll reply and go, hey, DM us your information. We'll get a hold of you and figure it out. But it would still be like I would DM them and they wouldn't, they would take five to 10 business days. Yeah. Jason I would find some it. way to defend Southwest in my reply. Yeah, exactly. You go, well, what a I mean, you know, to be. they go, well, I don't know, Colin, maybe you just didn't properly label things. Yeah. Ever thought about that? I thought about how maybe you were just like a half step behind, you know, all the steps <laughs> that you needed. They were always you know, a half step You fly Southwest, you. you're, uh, you're really going into the lines down on that one. Yeah. Uh, listen, I know what I did with my bag, James. Uh, and that is, I, I know that it should have made the, made the trip. No, but like, yeah, if I do that, like it's like they say that, yeah. but then they don't actually care. They sure. they take their time. Jason Statham gets on there and things. Right. But it's also because not only did he say it, but then everyone go, gets up in arms and they're like, "There's a hundred thousand people tweeting right now, and yeah. uh, we are trending and not in a good way." So yeah. like they take care of it immediately, right? So it's the same thing here. Like if he goes, "Oh, okay, I'm just going to throw out a random band." And one that I think is fine because they definitely weren't you know, an 80s band, so we'll be fine. But imagine he was like, I wanted to use Sellout by Real Big Fish, and they said no, right? Uh-huh. If he said that in an interview, even if he said, and it's fine, no big deal, still love them, still go to their concerts. Can you imagine Aaron Barrett being like, oh, my phone's blowing up. People must have, it's like, oh, Sellout's trending. Oh, shit. You know? And then there's yeah. people being like, you know, KYS, Aaron Barrett, you know? Yeah. Or, uh skanking whoa uh that's you know like you know that's you know f- uh, you know sexism or you know like people just like be like you know like get, right. be better like because people want to do the research they'll right you know they'll look out there and they'll be like uh scotanic uh okay demonic much you know like people just getting like fucking weird about a whole bunch of shit be like oh the setup huh yeah it really was a setup that you didn't let james gunn use your song yeah. Everything sucks more like all oh, your music sucks. And he's like, Yeah, I've heard that one. Don't worry. Yeah. That one that one's fine. I get that one. Um but like, yeah, just the the mob that would descend, you know? Yeah. Uh so I think that's a smart move. Just be like, you know what? Sure. At the end of the day, still made a great movie. Yeah. Didn't get the song. No hard feelings. I still enjoy their music. Yeah. 
It's also, it's like, you don't even need to know. Yeah, right. Exactly. Uh, I do think, it does make me think of the um, School of Rock uh, thing where Jack Black got the entire crowd of extras from the from the movie. Like, they filmed him asking Led Zeppelin for permission to use Immigrant Song, which they had notoriously not done licensing for, like, they rarely, rarely, rarely ever did licensing for things at that point. Because Immigrant Song would later be used, yeah, you know, in an MCU property. Yeah. Um, I also oh. think, I bet you it's also because, like, let's say you're Led Zeppelin. You okay. get an offer in 1997 for a movie. And they're like, hi, we'll give you $50,000 for the usage of this song. And yeah. you're like, I mean, that's kind of what we make in royalties already. And, like, I don't think I really love that movie. I'm good, right? Yeah. A Norse God movie, even if it's a comedy, that's yeah. also guaranteed to make millions and millions of dollars, comes yeah. on and goes, hey, can we use your song? We'll pay you $500,000 or whatever. And you go, "Yeah, sizable chunk of change. Yes. Like, yeah. I feel like you do kind of typically go, yeah, yeah, we'll take that deal. We'll take Wait, that deal. He, they said yes to School of Rock also. No, I know, but I'm just saying, okay, I'm, okay. Not, I'm not including School of Rock. I'm, okay, sorry, sorry, sorry. That's sorry, why sorry. I skipped a, a larger amount of time. Yeah. Here. But like I was saying, like someone with a much—I mean, right? Yeah, that yes. movie would have had a smaller budget too. But like, still, the idea of like, an—I don't think School of Rock had a giant budget. Okay. All right. Fine. Okay. Yep. Not definitely not a Ragnarok level budget. Right. And now I'm nervous about that. School of Rock. Take a guess. Uh, fifty dollars and a soda after filming. <laughs> no, because remember they did have they did have some of the Q sack. I'd rather uh, uh, I'll, I'll uh, pay for this movie today for two burgers. Link later. <laughs> that's very good. Thank you. Uh, um, uh, uh, three million. Uh, Ragnarok. Yeah, hundred eighty million. Okay. Box office eight hundred fifty four. So they they made nice. it back in space. Yeah. No worries. School of Rock. Okay. Thirty five million. Okay. I was off by 10 times. <laughs> uh, and, oops, hang on. That's the Thor main page. Uh, box office, 131. Okay, 100 million? Yeah. Bas- yeah, basically 100 million. Yeah, good not, not, not bad. Good, good, uh, good movie. Good song, yeah. The the drummer from that movie just passed. Yep. The well basis said. from that movie is on TikTok. Yes, she is. Yeah, she has, she has some good, uh, good-ass TikToks, too. Yeah. Hey, so uh, should we do an Avengers Ensemble? Yeah, hit me with it. Avengers Ensemble. All right, so Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 is uh, the third movie of Phase 3 of the Marvel movies. It is the 15th movie in the MCU official, you know, movie stuff overall. Uh, It was released on Cinco de Mayo 2017, May 5th. Uh, it was directed by James Gunn, who we've talked about just a whole lot in this episode already. So if you haven't heard of him, welcome to the show. Uh, if you he, haven't heard of him, you've not been listening to this episode. Right. Thanks, exactly. but thanks for tuning they, in now. They just started They started an hour in. They always skip the first hour just to see if we can get into the good the, the meat of it. Um, 
so uh, he is directing the upcoming game, uh, games of Game of Thrones Guardians Three. No, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Three. Uh, he directed six episodes of Peacemaker. Uh, he directed the Guardians of the Galaxy Holiday Special, The Suicide Squad, Guardians of the Galaxy, and Slither. Um, he wrote uh, Guardians of the Galaxy 3, Superman Legacy. He wrote nine episodes of Peacemaker, and he's also the creator of Peacemaker, the, mo- the movie. Um, right. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Holiday Special, The Suicide Squad, a movie called Dolphin Man Battles the Sex Lobsters, which seems... That seems right. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, Lollipop Chainsaw, which is not related to Velvet Chainsaw, but they are two different kinds of chainsaws. Uh, Slither. Uh, he wrote Scooby-Doo 2, Monsters Unleashed. I forgot about Monsters that. Monsters Unleashed. Wow. Yeah. Uh, he wrote I Dawn of... I fully forgot he did that. That's yeah. Wild. Dawn of the Dead, uh, which is the, the remake is the thing he wrote. I remember seeing that in the movie theater and being very scared. So good job, James Gunn. He also wrote the original Scooby-Doo. Uh, movie with the original one. Oh, I thought he only wrote two. That's interesting. That's even and, more interesting to me. Uh, 13 Ghosts, the movie that Erin credits with uh, really, really, really cementing her fear of ghosts. Uh, so the magnificently quaffed man is uh, <laughs> played by Kurt Russell. The ego okay. on this guy, am I right? Um, he was in one episode of What If... Uh, he was in F9, the Fast and oh, sorry, F9, the Fast Saga, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, The Fate of the Furious, The Hateful Eight, Bone Tomahawk, Bone Tomahawk, Furious Seven, Death Proof, Sky High, Escape from L.A., Stargate, Elvis. He played Elvis in Forrest Gump, uncredited, like he was the guy doing the voice of Elvis in that. Uh, he was in Big Trouble in Little China, The Thing. He played the voice of It Must Be Adult Copper in The Fox and the Hound. Uh, Escape from New York, The Computer Wore Tennis Shoes, where he played an android, I think. He was in one episode of Lost in Space, one episode of Gilligan's Island. He was in two movies in 1980, and here they are. Amber Waves, a drifter stranded in Kansas, accepts a job offer from a wheat harvester who, in desperation over his cancer and financial woes, attempts suicide, but becomes a father figure to the young man. And used cars. This sounds fun. This sounds fun. When the owner of a struggling used car lot is killed, it's up to that. It's up to the lot's hotshot salesman to save the property from falling into the hands of the owner's ruthless brother and used car rival. And Colin, if you're wondering if there is uh, topless women in this movie, there is topless women in this movie, even in the trailer. For the show that on in trailers, eighties. It was the eighties, man. You know, yeah. Who who gave a crap? Um, my shorts, man. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> exactly. Uh, okay, Kurt Russell, TM, TM, TM. Ready? Mm-hmm. Often has long hair or a mullet. Yeah, for sure. Often, I feel like I'm. Wow, you're giving real Anthony Fantano vibes, and I'm really loving it. Um, mm-hmm. often performs many of his stunts himself. Hard seven. Yeah, you're telling me. Uh, often works with John Carpenter. Uh, he has a distinctive gravelly voice, and he often plays charming, laid-back characters. I think there's a lot of things in the trademarks there that I would say also fit one James Anderson. Oh, thanks. Well, okay. 
Long hair and mullet, sure. Mm-hmm. The stunts that I that are performed on my behalf are usually performed by me. Mm-hmm. What few they are. I have drama stories from performing stunts to a degree that um, injured me. Uh, John Carpenter's a no. Distinctive gravelly voice and charming and laid back. Okay, thanks. I, I would, that, that's the other one that I was going for. Because like, yeah. I don't like when I say gravelly too. To be very clear, like I don't think that like I'm not going like Tom Waits type of gravelly. You know what I mean? But like, oh, thank God. there is a there is thank a certain fuck. yeah. There's a certain like you know rasp or tone that I, actually that both of us have. Yeah. Um, but like I think that like yours is much more akin to his. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you. I appreciate that. James Anderson, the Kurt Russell of the Scavengers Network. Um, so the woman, yeah. whoever she may be, is played by Laura Haddock. And this is an update because we previously saw Laura Haddock getting an autograph from Captain Whoa. America in what? The Star-Spangled Man with a Plan. So here's an update on Laura Haddock. And also I have a story about why I had a particular Wikipedia page open for weeks on end, way before we were going to record this. The update is that Laura Haddock was in eight episodes of the TV show The Recruit, which is on Netflix, and I I found it very, very charming. She plays the sort of... Uh, like, what if the Black Widow fell on hard times and had to hire, like, Foggy Nelson to come do her spy work for her. That's basically the plot of the recruit. Because he's a lawyer. Okay. He's wet behind the ears. She's exper- she's an experienced Russian spy. So I was like, this lady looks... Who is this lady? She's awesome. She kind of has... A, she kind of gives, like, Angelina Jolie in, like, uh, Hackers, sort of that, like, rough Jolie sort of deal. Um, so who is he? Who is she? Laura Haddock. Okay, what has she been in? <gasps> Because she's so related to the MCU in that one little way and in this way that we're going to... um, Exactly, exactly. Related, if you know what I mean, by which I mean related. Um, So it's weird to... She's so different. She looks so different from both how she looks here and how she looks getting an autograph from Steve Rogers that I was like... Oh my God, I would never have recognized her. So, uh, Laura Haddock, uh, Chameleon. She plays Chameleon. Spider-Man 4. Um, that would, so, that, what a casting that would be. Do you, have you ever read, uh, I hate to call her girl Chameleon, but Chameleon that is the, the, the female version? No. It's a good character. Very fun. Um, then the last credit I have is Young Ego Facial Reference. We have all these people, old people being playing younger counterparts of themselves. They have to have someone on to whom to put the CGI right. face. So, Colin, they used this actor named Aaron Schwartz. Do I know who yeah. that is? Uh, maybe. That I'm gonna send you a couple, weirdly familiar. I'm going to send you a couple of pictures. Don't look them up. So here's him. Uh, currently, or at least current-ish. He's a good-looking man. I've seen so, this man. Yes. So he was in several things. Um, and I want to go through that now, but I'm going to queue up the um, 
the picture that I have so that I can just hit enter. Hold on one second. Okay, so he was also in uh, one episode of Elementary, one episode of The Originals. Let me pull your face up here. Uh, he was also in uh, the 90s movie Heavyweights, eight episodes of The Adventures of Pete and Pete, and Pating the Mighty yep. Ducks. No way. Wow. That's a glow up there, bud. Wow. You know, remember how when we were like, Robert Downey Jr. has forever looked like Robert Downey Jr.? He does not look like he was the same person. Well, I, I eyes agree. maybe. I think, in, I think in the eyes. The eyes is the only place where I see it. He played Dave Carp in Mighty Ducks, the first one, the Mighty Ducks. Wow. Um, you might think of him as, as I did, maybe uh, White Goldberg. He is the exact wow. same role as Goldberg, except for he's the white one. Um, and he's in Heavyweights. He's one of the main characters in Heavyweights, along with Keenan Thompson and Goldberg, the guy that played Goldberg. Um, because, again, they were like, these two are basically the same. Um, so, yeah. Uh Aaron Schwartz is a guy that they used uh, him for young Kurt Russell facial reference. It's weird to see, oh, this random person. Wait, it's not a random person. It's a kid I've watched on video cassette play hockey a bunch. Yeah, a bunch. So that is it for Avengers Ensemble, Colin. Okay. That well, is it for Avengers Ensemble. Do you want to uh, drive us on out of here, or do you have anything else that you want to talk about? I was going to say, shall, shall we head out to the Dairy Queen? Oh, yeah. Ooh, yum. I'm going to get a peanut buster parfait. <laughs> I don't know any of the names of things, but I'm going to get a blizzard of some sort. Oh, yeah. Uh, let's get on out of here. Thank you, everyone, so much for joining us here on this episode of Timeline Scavengers. As always, I'm Colin Parker. I'm James Anderson. Oh, Brandy, you're a fine girl. But my life, my lover, my lady, is the Excelsior. Excelsior.